But the difference is that we want to be there to help those founders build to success. It's not enough for us if we're simply investing in them and hoping that they're going to be that unicorn or that amazing 4x, 15x return that we need. It's important for us that we build with them. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. Today, I'm speaking with a dynamic mother and daughter duo, Gayla Jennings O'Byrne and Thelma Bataille. Gayla is the founder and CEO of Walkstar Capital, which invests in diverse female founders. And her mother, Thelma, has led a fascinating career programming fighter planes and now serves as an advisor at Walkstar Capital. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Gayla and Thelma, thank you so much for joining us on the Women on the Move podcast. It is great to speak with you here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thelma, I'd love to start with you as you have a really fascinating background and career. You started your career in technology. You're a programmer at McDonnell Douglas and worked on the DC-10 and F-15 fighter planes, which is remarkable. Would love for you to tell us about those early days. How did you start in that field and how did you contribute to those massive projects? Well, I got started in the field right out of college when I started programming on the first generation of IBM equipment, and I became fascinated with it. So right out of college, I was hired by McDonnell Douglas to be a Fortran program, and that was writing programs with mathematic solution as opposed to COBOL, which was for business application. And my first assignment was working on the F-15. And at that time, you know, we were in this war with Vietnam and all those things. And this was the plane that gave the U.S. the military might over the world. So it was fascinating working in that environment and knowing that you were making a real contribution. The other project was working on the D.C. 10. You may not realize it, but that was the first jumbo jet. And to work on that and says, wow, I was a part of this was very exciting. And all our equipment was IBM mainframed. And from that, it just snowballed into Silicon Valley and a 35-year career in technology. And I've enjoyed all of it. That is just great. So you moved your family at one point, you relocated to Silicon Valley. And I would love to understand your experience working in the Valley. And at that time, and even still today, it's not necessarily a very diverse place. And so I would love to understand your experiences being there, especially in the early days. As you know, there were very few, actually, there were very few women in this field in the early 70s. But that didn't bother me. I joined it because I wanted to enhance my skill set and because the company was doing things that I was interested in and gave me an opportunity for growth. And that's what I was looking for in Silicon Valley. Because of my inner strength, I didn't let it bother me. It's like, I have something to offer. I enjoy this. I'm not looking at who's in the mix. I'm looking at what's the next level I can aspire to and how do I get there? So it's somewhat of a selfish attitude, but it was always my thing is, you know, it's not my peers, it's the person above me. That's where I want to be. And how do I get there? So it's always a competitive game for me. So it sounds like then you were with folks, bosses in particular, who you felt could treat you fairly and really judge you for your skills. Well, that's true, because in the early days of Silicon Valley, that's what the employers was looking for. 
They wanted people who could do the job, who had the skills. Silicon Valley was an interesting place to work because if you had some ideas and wanted, you know, present them, you know, people would listen because it was very competitive and everyone is looking for the next big win. Well, Gayla, I would love to know from your experience growing up there, is that how you felt, you know, that work hard, play hard mentality? And how was this part of your upbringing there? I definitely carried that work hard, play hard mentality. The bigger answer to your question is for me, what happened was I had a front row seat to the technology and innovation that women contribute to society and in particular women of color. And so for me, my world was shaped by seeing women in positions where they were in technology, they were in science, they weren't mathematicians, they were engineers. My mom, and then seeing the sisterhood that my mom was part of. I don't know that all of your listeners would know this, but caller ID and call waiting and CCTV security cameras, right? Nanny cams, all of those things, even the fiber optic cables that are moving all of the data that we use, those were innovations and contributions that were made by women of color. And so for me, my upbringing was this can-do attitude. Yes, the work hard, play hard, but it was also came from the space of women and a sisterhood that were doing it. And that I think is where I got my self-worth and my grounding that, you know, I'm women's history and I'm black history in the making. I love that. And thank you for raising those. I mean, those are amazing innovations that have changed all of our lives. No question about it. And how do you think your mother's own experience as a black woman in technology there has influenced you, you know, over the course of your career or even personal life? I think I got a really good appreciation and of her love in the sense that even in the face of how others may treat you and how others may not see you, she never was a bitter person. So even when she was in segregated South going to school, when she was at McDonnell Douglas working on the F-15 fighter plane, you know, she and I would talk and I would say, well, was that hard to get a job there? And, and she would tell me that, no, that there weren't any other men that had those skill sets. And so she was welcomed because they just needed really smart people to join the team who knew how to use those computers. And then the last thing I would say about that too, is that it also gave me a sense of purpose. And the work that I do now, it's embedded in something that's bigger than me. And so when people say, wow, you know, are you nervous? Are you scared? Do you have doubts? Sure, I do, right? I'm, I'm human and I have a sense of purpose and that's really what kind of keeps me going. And that I, I got from Thelma. I love how you're talking about a sense of purpose and you can clearly see that in your career, Gayla. So you spent 20 years in corporate America. We should tell our listeners that you did work at JP Morgan Chase in global philanthropy. And so you were part of the family from way back when. And then you turned your attention to really helping women of color founders and their startups. You became the CEO of Prometheus Exchange and you then went on to Walkstar Capital and the Walkstar Fund. So tell us about some of these organizations, you know, why you created them and what their missions are. So my career started, no surprise, in Silicon Valley in the early days of Java and the internet. And then when I joined JP Morgan after grad school, having gone to Wharton and Michigan, I was working in a couple of different areas in the investment bank and really found my love in mergers and acquisitions. But I had this amazing, great experience of seeing the capital markets from corporate finance and investment banking. And then I also saw how capital was being deployed in a philanthropic impact investing way. And yet I realized we were still missing a huge segment of the population, women, and in particular, women of color. 
And I thought, I've got to take my experience, all my JP Morgan training and investing, my Rolodex and my relationships, and really start to make a difference in that way. And I see it as a female arbitrage situation in that we've got amazing undercapitalized, underinvested, but huge potential for outsized returns. And there's this mismatch in the marketplace. So I started thinking it was going to be helping investors come to be able to be involved in that space. And so that's where Prometheus came in. It was this philanthropic advisory for impact investors, family offices, organizations. But I realized that future that we want to see, the change that we want to see, the impact, the way we grow our economies and our GDP and keep putting out really innovative products and have competitive economies is that we've got to start investing from a investment point of view that we couldn't solve our way out of our problems philanthropically solely, that we had to rely on the markets themselves. And so thus Walkstar Capital, which is a education and training platform. We do a lot of technical assistance with organizations and founders and then the fund. So we invest, we storytell, and we champion and advocate for women founders. So you've described yourself and your partners as builder capitalists versus venture capitalists. Why do you say that? You know, tell us the difference and why that's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. The capitalist is in both of those phrases, right? So we are laser focused on returns. We're laser focused on outsized returns. We're laser focused on the most efficient and productive deployment and usage of capital. But the difference is that we want to be there to help those founders build to success. It's not enough for us if we're simply investing in them and hoping that they're going to be that unicorn or that amazing 4X, 15X return that we need. It's important for us that we build with them. But what we forget too is that we haven't really activated our networks and our ability to build together. And that's actually how women succeed is when they build together. We've talked on the program with others who say that it also helps those early founders retain equity and ownership in the companies that they're starting. So maybe they shouldn't necessarily have VC come in too early. When you're working with companies, do you look at it that way too? And do you really try to have founders kind of preserve that ownership up front? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we always talk about that the best investment is clients and revenue. And so for us, it's really important that the companies we invest in before we even invest, it may not be revenue but they've got to have product out in the marketplace. So there's an active dialogue and conversation happening with customers. Really get something in the market, understand what your customer wants, what you're solving for them and why they're willing to pay for it. A lot of this is just changing behavior. It's not that we don't have a solution for it. It just might not be a pretty solution. And so that's really why we're so key on finding out what your customers need before you like jump into venture capital, which I know is hard because funding is important, right? So Thelma, you're an advisor to many walk stars. So I'm curious, what are the top things that you would advise them or other founders? You know, having had a broad experience in business development, the uh, one thing I would suggest and advise the uh, entrepreneurs on is, first of all, make sure that the solution that you are providing solves a problem for customers. So you got to know who is your customer and what is this problem solving for them and how would it benefit them? Secondly, I would say know your competition because you're not the only person out there who are looking for a solution for this. you got to understand who else is looking at this and why are you standing above them? What is your differentiator? What would make your clients choose your products 
over theirs. And all of that would entail doing your research. Don't just get hung up on the technology. Do your market research, do your technology research, you know, speak to your customer, understand what's happening in the marketplace and be prepared for some failures because you will have those, but know yourself well enough to pick yourself up and keep going. Gayla, when you were creating your companies and you're sitting around the table with your mom and you're having conversations, how did she advise you in those early days? Like what were some of those conversations about? There was definitely a lot of tough love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you definitely couldn't get too, you know, scared or self-doubting yourself because she was right there to empower you and pick you back up again. But the biggest thing that she did was is that she just believed in you. That carries me to this day. And I think as human beings, that's all we want. And I think that's a good advice, you know, I would give to entrepreneurs. Believe in yourself. Believe you can do it. Because if you believe in yourself, you have a radiance about you that is a magnet. It will attract others. And that's been part of my success in my career. It is very magnetic and definitely attracts others. There's no question. And what are your other family members doing? I have to know this too. So I would say that my other family members are ballers. Like I'm kind of the little sheep in the family. Like <laughs> It's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of highly accomplished, highly smart, just really good people in my family. And I'm, I'm just trying to keep up with them. <laughs> I think you've succeeded on that. I'm a, uh, one of 10 and we're all professionals. And I tell everybody, we could have our own city. We have everything. We have doctors, lawyers, superintendents of schools, social workers, dentists. I just, we could start our own little township. <laughs> Absolutely. That is wonderful. First of all, thankfully we're going to pass the worst of COVID hopefully, and you can get together again, but that must oh, that be, would be great. Blowout. <laughs> You know, Thelma, I'm interested in seeing your perspective on Gayla's progression in her career. You know, when she was going through the different phases as she described, and you were watching this, did you think that the workplace had changed? You know, do you think we've made progress in some of these areas for women and for women of color? To be quite honest with you, I would say no. It is so disheartening when I look at really what the workplace is like and what the opportunities are there for people of color. It hasn't changed. And you look at Silicon Valley now, there probably aren't any more people of color in these big companies as there were when I was there. And if they are, they're not being treated any more fairly than they were then. I think it's really sad because everybody catches on to the headline, but you go look at those companies, it hasn't changed. You talk to those employees there, it hasn't changed. The only way it's going to change if they change their hiring practices, how they hire employees. And in every corporate America, the person who hires that person next door makes a decision, not HR, not the executive suite, but the hiring manager. And who do they hire? The people they are comfortable with, the people they know, their friends. I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I I think there's been some change, I think, in terms of the numbers. I don't think it's the order of magnitude that any of us would want, but I think you're right. And, you know, I look at things like a report that came out earlier this year and that showed that funding to female founders was actually at its lowest in three years. And so when we think about, to your point, all of the headlines around diversity and inclusion and you know, this big effort to invest in funds like ours, right? Female-led fund managers investing in female funds and diverse and inclusive funds. 
And to see a, a report like that, that says we're actually at a three-year low, it's really disheartening. You know, you yourself, Gayla, have talked about this mission and this higher calling because of a health scare after a health scare that you had. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share that with us and talk through, you know, what you went through and how that changed you. Yeah, happy to. I actually remember I was in the office and I got the call from the doctor telling me that I had cancer in my eye. And I didn't really know what he was saying. It was kind of like that, you know, Charlie Brown moment where it's sort of want, want, want. And so I said, thank you very much in my, you know, well-trained, you know, manners that I got from my mother. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I hang up the phone and I go into a meeting and I give this presentation to like 45 people in the room and a bunch of people on, on speakerphone. And after the presentation and Q&A, I get back to my office and I just was sort of like, what was it he was saying? And I called back and he walks me through it. And I said, okay. And I said, well, Thanksgiving's coming up. So maybe I'll see, you know, maybe um, uh, if it makes sense, I'll come in, you know, after the holidays and and all that. And, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll follow up with your admin. So thank you very much. And this is a Friday. And he said, you're not listening to me. He said, I want, he goes, I get in the office Monday at 8 a.m. He's like, I want you here at 8.05. He's like, we've got to get going. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so I hung up the phone again, you know, perfectly mannered. Why, thank you. Okay. I'll be sure to be there at 8.05. And I picked up my handbag. I picked up a stapler and I think I took like a pen and some folders, you know, some work that I was working on. I put it in my handbag and the stapler and I just started walking home. And I just, I don't remember really walking home. And the next thing I was, you know, 40 blocks up Park Avenue. And I just was like, I don't want to not live. But what happened was I, I was very mindful of like fear of dying and I didn't want to die. But then when I survived it, and as I was in the process of surviving it and going through my procedures, I stopped being afraid of dying and I got really excited to live and brave. And I think that's when I gathered all the things I had learned from my mom and the sisterhood and said, I want to work on behalf of the sisterhood. That is a remarkable story. First of all, we're so happy that your health has been restored. You're back to good health again, but that you took that experience and really poured that into something that helps others is just so meaningful and powerful. So thank you for that. The things that you've brought to founders, you know, this ecosystem, this new world you're creating for them. What does that look like to you and your ideal vision? You know, what does that full ecosystem look like? And how does that bring in more people, more women of color? to succeed? First, it looks like women having a confident inner voice. And so we spend a lot of time around positive language and reinforcement. And if you ever get like an email from me, I sign a lot of it with stay fabulous because I just, you know, words are powerful. And, and when people hear that, you know, it brings a smile. We talk a lot about like, what's, how much are you trying to raise? And I say, well, before you tell me, double the number and then say that out loud. And some of them, you know, some are kind of uncomfortable with that. And I said, it's okay. It's me. Just take that number, double it and say it out loud. And I make them say it like three times. And I was like, how does it feel now? 
you kind of normalized it, right? And so we spend a lot of time, one, around that inner confidence, uh, really empowering women. It also looks like a place where we all are bringing our talents and gifts to help build something. And it's a beautiful thing because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you, you know, the Walk Star Fund, right? Stands for Women of Color Stars. So are you only investing in women of color? Like, what about the rest of us? What about men? What about Caucasian women? And I said, well, you know what? Here's the beautiful little secret is that women and particularly women of color are actually very diverse and inclusive in how they build teams and how they build and collaborate. And I said, so if you get a woman of color involved, she's going to bring the rest of the village. And so what it looks like to me is that we're all being able to contribute because I do believe that at the end of the day, everyone in society wants to feel like they're contributing and accomplishing And so it doesn't mean that everyone has to be an investor, but we all have something that we can invest in. And that could be how we shop and being intentional of shopping from small businesses, shopping from startups. It could be something as simple and as powerful as you allowing us to be on your podcast and letting us have this conversation. And maybe someone might hear it and think, how can I help Walkstar? How can I invest in Walkstar? How can I help one of those Walkstar women, right? This is what it looks like is when we start to, I say, share the wealth and the power. A lot of what we're talking about around this access to capital is really about power sharing, And that gets really hard. Why wouldn't we invest in Walkstar and Walkstar companies? But the underlying stuff that we don't always talk about is that this is all about power as well. And that gets really hard to share. Thank you so much, Gayla and Thelma, for being with us today and sharing your experiences. It is great to hear what you're working on and we wish you the best of continued luck. Thank you. It was enjoyable. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. It was great to sit down with Gayla and Thelma. Both are pioneers who continue to nurture, fund, and mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs. I want to thank them for sharing their thoughts with us and using their experience to help counsel others. Join us next week for our final installment in Women Founders and Funders. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.